0: Well, oh, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, so glad you all are here. I'm really excited about today, uh, cause today we're kicking off a new sermon series called Lost and Found. Uh, so who here has ever had to go digging through one of those lost and found piles before? Yeah. Shame on you. Shame on you. Um, uh, I actually, uh, I haven't had to go, uh, digging through a lost and found pile. I haven't had the, the thrill, the, the rush of adrenaline and panic of having to retrace all of my steps to find that item that I have misplaced. Uh, that is until I got married, (laughs) just leave that one there, uh, and had kids, uh, And so now I just belong to a family that's, we're just a bunch of chronic losers. Um, And I know that sounds really bad, but you get what I'm saying. Um, So I'm constantly saying, you know, where's your shoes? Where's your shoes? Where's your shoes? Where's your shoes? Where's your other shoe? Okay. Uh, And all I get back in return is just innocent blank little stares at me. And I say, What do they, just walk off without you? Again, just innocent, blank stares at me. Um, Some of you who are uh, chronic losers yourself, um, you may uh, have used this line before. I didn't lose it, I just misplaced it. Right? I thought about calling this series uh, uh, Misplaced and Found or Wandered Off and Found. Uh, It's a little bit more theologically true, but it doesn't, have as nice of a ring to it as lost and found does. Uh, but the truth is that, that nothing is ever fully lost to God. Even though you'll read passages of scripture, you'll hear stories about you know the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost people. None of it is ever really lost. None of it is ever really gone for good. The only thing that God loses is sin. Then once you say, God, just, just take this Away from me. Take, take this sin from me. Take it, Lord, and, and I just, I don't want to see it anymore. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. Then it's gone. It's lost as far as the East is from the West. And that act of God losing that thing, whatever it is that you've been holding on to, whatever is held on to you, the act of God losing it, that's called grace. And it's a gift. And so that word grace, it's, it's a loaded word, and, and Christians use it a lot. And so what are we talking about when we talk about grace? And so let's back up and let's begin at the beginning. So as you uh, may know, with all those lost and found piles, uh, which by the way, some of you need to go visit our church's lost and found pile because we're getting a great collection of umbrellas and sunglasses. Um, but every item in those lost and found piles, it has an original owner. It has an original owner to it. In order for something to be lost and then subsequently found, it first has to have an owner. And so the owner goes to search and retrieve that lost item. If it's not the owner, then, well, we call that stealing. Um, LAUGHTER So this is how um, the story of Jesus begins, and John, who's one of the four people who wrote the New Testament documents that, that we call the Gospels, or the messages of good news about Jesus, he began his Gospel, he began his good news message this way. So this is John 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, in the beginning... Was the Word. That's a fancy way to say, in the beginning was Jesus the Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, Jesus is the original owner of everything because He was there with the Father and the Spirit creating all things. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hold on to that, and we're going to skip down a couple of verses. And it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The true light that was coming in to the world, the true light that gives light to everything was coming in to the world. Did you know? Did you know that there is no place in all of creation where there is not a photon? You remember hearing about photons in middle school, elementary school? It's that elementary particle uh, that, that represents uh, a quantum of light, photons are, th- are those things that 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 make light happen, and, and they 're everywhere. There is not a place in all of creation where a photon where the possibility and the reality of light cannot be found, even ten thousand leagues under the sea, you can still find a photon, <laughs> a possibility for light. To be there. There is no place where there is no light, even in the darkest places in the world. There is no place where there is no light, or at least the potential for it. And so, my point in here is this that John, a Jewish Christian. Gospel writer from the first century, long before the scientific revolution were to ever happen, he wrote something that was profoundly scientific. no he didn 't know it at the time, and also profoundly theologically illuminating. the true light, Jesus, who gives light to everyone, and everything was coming into his world. God. In a bod, God wrapped in flesh, God incarnate, Jesus, the source of all light, was coming into the world and he has come as a light to shine in the darkness, to illuminate everything else so that the darkness will never overcome. What a powerful metaphor and what a powerful reality of truth that the light of everything, the light, the true light of everything, is. Everywhere. There is no place where Jesus is not already. Now, here's why that matters to us. Centuries later, there was another John, a man named John Wesley. He was the founder of the Methodist movement, a rise, a resurgence of, of Christianity uh, in England, and, and came over here. Um, and he had this wild idea. Actually, he really just found this in scripture and gave a name to it, but he had this idea of God's grace being prevenient. God has a prevenient grace. Now, hang with me while we unpack that phrase a little bit. Prevenient grace means uh, it is grace that goes before, pre, before, and venient as way or going, that there is God's grace that goes before us, before we are ever aware of God, before we can ever speak the name God, before we are ever even able to recognize God, God is there at work in our world and at work in every single person's life. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, what you believe or what you don't believe, God is there with you us Methodists, we we speak of this thing, we speak of this prevenient grace as the divine love that surrounds everyone, this divine love that surrounds all, and it is free in all, and it is free for all. If God created it, if God owns it, then God's grace is there, and nothing is ever fully lost to the creator of everything, because 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 God's spirit God's spirit is already at work God's prevenient grace God's life God's light and love surrounds everyone and everything everything lives and moves and finds its being finds its home its resting place in the life of God But you might think well I don't I don't feel surrounded by God's presence, I, I I don't feel God's presence. I don't I don't feel God's love. Maybe you've you've felt that way before. Maybe you feel that way now. But it's sort of like this. It's sort of like air conditioning. Now I used this illustration in uh, the last service, and our AC broke. Uh, so hopefully it works out better in this one. Um, people have a lot of opinions about temperature. I've learned this from working in church ministry for uh, quite a few years. We are quick to recognize something that is unordinary or uncomfortable for us. It's too hot. It's too cold. We're quick to say that. How many of you all maybe have turned to someone on your way in here and said, Ooh, it's too, it's too cold in here. Ooh, it's too, it's too hot in here. But I've never heard someone walk into a room and say, Wow. It's just perfect in here. Right? You just you just don't hear that. It's it's just so perfect in here. It's not too hot, it's not too cold. It's just right. And sometimes the things that are most common to us, sometimes the things that are just a given to us are the things that we can become most unaware of. Now it's true that there are a lot of people who are not aware of God's grace working in their lives. Some may even wish to deny that it is there in the first place, but it's often the things that are just a given that we are most unaware of. And as Methodists, at at the core of our faith, as as what we believe as a people of God, we believe that Jesus died for every single person for all history. forever. It's grace given to all. Jesus' life was given to all. It is a gift given for everyone. And that grace goes before us, beckoning us, calling us, urging us, wooing us into relationship with God to say, come and see. And without it, without it, we wouldn't. We wouldn't follow, left to our own wills and devices. We wouldn't, unless there was that nudging, unless there was that pulling us. We still have a choice to make, but God's Holy Spirit is always pushing, always wooing, always calling, always pressing, always trying to get our attention. Maybe not everyone has reached that same conclusion just yet. But we believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to give his life for every one and that all may have life through him. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. It's just grace. It's a gift. And that's what grace is. It's simply a gift from God. And so think of it this way. If you were to come up to me after service and offer me a $100 gift card to my favorite restaurant, I would thank you dearly for that. Um, But if you came up to me and offered me a $100 gift card to my favorite restaurant, and, and I said, no, no, no i, I can 't possibly accept that 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 's way too much that's that 's way too too generous uh, please please no and you said no no it 's a gift this is this is what I want to give to you it's it 's a gift, please take it and i said well here i 'll tell you what how about, how about I give you seventy five dollars for it he said no it's it 's a gift card it 's a gift to you and i said ah, it 's still too much. okay, what if I give you fifty dollars and you said, no, no, no. It's a gift. Just take it. And I said, okay, how about I give you $20 for it? And by that point, you're just so beaten down and exhausted from this bargaining back and forth. You say, fine, I'll take $20 and here's the gift card. But what happens in that moment is that it no longer becomes a gift card, it now becomes a discount card. That I have done something to earn it, or at least to make me feel like, like I deserve this. After all, I did pay you a fifth of its value, even though it may seem insignificant in the grand value of it all. I did do something for it. And, you know, sometimes we think of our relationship with God like that. We get a relationship with God confused with human relationships, and we say, God, I know you can't possibly accept me just as I am. I, I, I know, you, I know you can't, you can't possibly give your grace to me just as I am. Other people don't accept me as I am. Heck, I don't even want to accept myself the way I am. So how could you, O oh Most High and Merciful God, possibly accept me? Let me tell you what, God. First, first, let me clean up my act. Let me, let me stop drinking first, God. God let me let me let me let me first stop cheating. Let me let me first stop lying or or how about this? God let me find my bible again and open it up. Let me let me go to church again. Let me let me do one more bible study. Let me let me start giving and tithing to the church again and no. It doesn't work like that. It's free. It's a gift freely given to all and freely at work within all. It's a gift. It's grace. Whether we choose to receive it or not, it's always there for each and every one of us. And you know, God doesn't see the way that we see. God doesn't work the way that we work. And thank God for that. Because God's prevenient grace, God's grace that goes before us, before everyone in the entire world, it means that we can't say that some are worthy of God's love while others are not. There are no measures for whom God loves doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your ethnicity, your race, your class, any of that, none of that is a proper measure for God's grace because God's grace is something that cannot be measured. We, we like to do this, but we cannot divide what Jesus has already died for all. And let me say that again because I think, I think Christians in America— We've really gotten this wrong and we've lost it somewhere along the lines. But we cannot divide. We cannot divide what Jesus has died for all. We can't measure who is worthy of God's grace by our own standards because grace is something that just cannot be measured, it's just given. It's offered freely, without a price tag, without any stipulations. It's offered freely to all. And provenient grace means that our prejudices can never come before the people whom God loves. And you know what? That includes every single person. And God never made a person whom God does not love. No matter, how many, no matter how lost some of us may seem, no one is ever fully lost to the creator of everyone. Because we all, we all have an owner. And no one, nothing, is ever fully lost to the creator, to the owner of everyone and everything. There is no sin too big to put you outside the bounds, outside the circle of God's embrace. Because it's already been given. It's already been paid for, and that also means that there is no sin. There is nothing too big to put you outside the circle of those whom God calls, and Jesus invites to come and be his followers, and be his disciples. I mean, just If you open up the New Testament, just read through it, and and you'll find that to be true. All of Jesus' disciples, all of his followers, they were a mess. They were a hot mess. They weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. They didn't have it all figured out. They just went and followed. They made mistakes. They were sinners. But being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus, in fact, if you read the New Testament, it seems like it's a prerequisite. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. It seems like it's a prerequisite. And every single person whom Jesus invited to come and follow him were sinners, including including me. And you might think, "Well, yeah, but you don't you don't know me." I mean, you you don't know what I've done. Okay. I don't have to know. I, I mean, if you want to talk about it, that, that's fine. I think maybe I could help you out, but but I don't have to know what you've done to know that Jesus has already invited you. I don't have to know what you what you've done to know that Jesus has already given his life to invite you into a relationship with him. And so, I love this next part of John's gospel. Jesus starts off on his, uh, on his ministry, and he's, he's telling people, teaching people about the love and the grace of God uh, that, that, that God has uh, for everyone. And, and he knows that he's going to need some some friends. He's, he knows that he's going to need some disciples. So he starts calling people. And so this is what it says, starting uh, John chapter 143. It says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, And finding Philip, he said, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, and Philip found Nathanael. I love that. Jesus found Philip, Philip found Nathanael, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. I love that. Nazareth. I mean, Nazareth had kind of a bad reputation. It was not the place where you wanted to go on a family vacation. It was insignificant. It was a town of about 200 to 400 people. And we would expect, just like Nathaniel did, we would expect Jesus, the, the Son of God, to, to come from a place that's a little bit more prominent, a, a little bit more significant than little, old, dirty Nazareth. Nathaniel, being probably a good student of the Jewish law, he would expect Jesus to have come from Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish faith, the city of faith. Or, if not that, then then come from Rome, the capital of Power and politics. But Nazareth? Now we already know the preamble to this story, what John told us earlier. We we know that Jesus is not only from Nazareth, but he is the one from whom all things come, including Nazareth. But Nathaniel still stumped Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And then this is what Philip said come and see, come and see. Turn to the person next to you and say, come and see, come and see. Great things. Nathaniel, just, just maybe great things could come from small and insignificant places. And so, continues on, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now Jesus uh, notices that Nathanael would probably make a really poor politician or a poker player, um, but he'd make a really good disciple in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael says, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And that's the moment where Nathanael stuck his foot in his mouth and said, "Uh uh-oh, so you know what I said about your mama and your hometown then, huh? Yes, Jesus said, disapprovingly, shaking his head in shame. So you think you're better than me? That's not what it says. It says this, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. Nathaniel, you will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, Nathaniel, if you thought that was impressive, me, me seeing you ahead of time under some fig tree, which obviously meant a lot to you, if you thought that was impressive, you will see greater things than that because I'm the ladder between heaven and earth. I'm the point of connection between the finite and the infinite, and you will see the heavens opened and the glory of God there for all to see. Jesus says, Nathaniel, look, man, I know you. I know you. I saw you hiding under the fig tree. I know you, and, and I always have, because nothing can ever be fully lost to the creator of everything. And then, Naz- and then Nathaniel got up and followed Jesus. But the important part of this story is that it took Philip, it took Philip to come to him and say, Nathaniel. Come and see. Nathaniel, come on. Come come, come and see this Jesus guy. I, 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 don't, I don't quite have it all figured out. I, I don't understand everything that he said, but, but there's something about him that's, that's just so attractive. Come on, Nathaniel. Come and see. And you know, all of us here in this room today, we're, we're all here because there has been a Philip at some point in our our lives. I mean even if this is your first time here and even if you're not sure about this Christian thing, someone at some point in time has come alongside you and said, "Hey, come come and see. Come and come and check this out. Maybe for you that was a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, but I don't know many people who have come to uh, have have faith it wasn't built on a relationship with someone else. That there was someone that that came along and at least stirred a curiosity about faith. That whenever I hear someone about their stories coming into uh, having a relationship with, with God, about coming to faith, it's always about human relationships. There was that one guy. There was that one girl that said, come on. Come, come and see, come and see, and they invited you to come and to see. But you also know that there was that, that pull within you. there, there, were, there was also that, that tug, there was that nudging, there was that, that pushing you, maybe, maybe ever so slightly, but you know it was there, and that push a gentle nudge that calling that wooing that was the holy spirit that's always been at work in your life and it just took someone it took a philip to come and say come and see come and see and for some of you it's time to be a philip to someone else it's time to be a philip to someone else to to say to someone you got to come see I, look, I don't have this all figured out. I, look, I, 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 don't, I don't know what this is all about. I, I, I just know this Jesus thing is something we're seeing. Come and see. And yeah, there might be some awkward conversations. Like, well, what good can come from that? What, what good can come from church? What good can come from Christianity? What, what good can come from organized religion? Yeah, it might be awkward. But if we really believe all this stuff about prevenient grace, about God's grace going before all of us, God's grace already at work in the lives of every single person, being free in all and for all, that that means that you're not the first one onto the scene, that God has already been there. It means that it's not all up to you means that God's already there, already working. There's no place where the light of the world is not already illuminating. You just have to tap into that. You just have to leverage it and tug on it a little bit and say, come on. Come and see. Come and see. And then you can decide for yourself, just as it was with Nathaniel. Philip said, come on, come on, Nathaniel, come and see. But it was his choice. It was his choice to get up and to follow Jesus. But it's up to us. It's up to us to start calling that out in the lives of the people that surround us. You know, when I um, first started going uh, to church, around that time, I was also uh, working at a convenience store, and so I'd get up at like 5 o'clock in the mornings um, before anyone else. And uh, every morning, I'd, I'd, take a sticky note and I'd put it by the coffee pot for, for my parents, but, but especially for my dad to see. And on every one of those sticky notes, I I put just a verse of scripture that, that I was reading. And I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this will, will speak to him. And I did that day after day after day for months and months and months. And then I started inviting him to church with me on Sunday mornings because that was my one day off. I said, dad, come on, just, just come and see. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And then one Sunday, he finally came and he saw. And you know, now he's got a deep and profound faith. And now he's the one that leaves little sticky notes for other people. And he's the one inviting people to say, Come on, come and see. And so for some of you, For some of you, you need to be a Philip to someone else. For some of you, you need to suck it up and say, yeah, okay, it might be awkward, but the Holy Spirit's already there at work in their lives, gone, going ahead of you to nudge them, to pull them. And it's up to you to leverage that, to say, come and see. Come and see what God can do through you. And for others of you, Maybe you have come and you have seen, and you just need to know. You just need to know that you've always been invited, that you've always been welcomed here the whole time, because there is no one that is ever fully lost to the creator, to the owner of everyone. And so I just I would urge you, I would, I would call you, I'd beckon you to say. Just lean in. Come come and see. Come and listen. Come and follow. Come and be found. Will you pray with me? Oh God. Lord, we, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that your presence surrounds us that you surround us with love and grace before we can ever even put our finger on it. Because it's too big. It's too extravagant. And it's all a gift. So God, we thank you for that. Forgive us for the times that, that we've neglected to see it. And Lord, we we know it happens every day where, where we miss you pulling on our hearts, tugging us, telling us to come and follow where you will lead. God, we've fallen short of that. But yet your grace is still there. You're still calling, you're still wooing, you're still urging that we come to you. And so God, give us Give us the faith, maybe even for some of us here today, for the first time, to take that first step. Maybe that first step in a long time. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, give us the faith and the courage to invite those whom you've always welcomed. Say, come and follow. And may we all come into your presence, Lord singing your praises and worshiping you for you're the great God of grace. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.